Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My BFF Business Leaders Podcast. This podcast is designed to focus the spotlight on leading voices throughout the world of business. From marketing and technology to energy and finance, this podcast will feature brilliant minds that are shaping the future of every industry. There has never been a better time to make more business friends forever, so let's get started. You don't have to be gay. You don't have to be LGBTQ. Maybe you just want an unbiased, unjudgmental experience. I don't care what kind of lifestyle um, mm-hmm. you're coming from. If, if, if you don't want people to judge you, this is really your group. Um, it provides a safe space for folks to interact with professionals in a multitude of professions and seek service in a judgment-free environment. On this episode of the My BFF Business Leaders podcast, we are joined by the CEO of the LGBTQ Plus Real Estate Alliance, Ryan Wyant. Ryan is a transcendent mind that has always looked to positively impact the greater good. In just a few short months, leading the charge with his current role at LGBTQ Plus Real Estate Alliance, he has accomplished exactly this. The alliance has grown exponentially and features chapters all throughout the United States and are quickly looking to expand across international borders. Ryan delves into his professional journey, discusses the Alliance's recent success, and describes the envisioned plans for this organization's future in this episode. So let's dive right into it. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing today? Good, Colton. Happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Looking forward to talking. How are you? Good, good. Can't complain. Everybody's safe and healthy. So, yeah, appreciate you taking the time to join us today, too. We've been yeah, looking forward to this interview. Um, and by this time already, our audience has kind of already learned a little about you through our introduction. But to officially begin, uh, would you just take a second to kind of tell our listeners a little about yourself personally? Yeah. Um, a little. I, I love when people say, tell me about you. It feels like flash <laughs> dating, right? Um <laughs> Well, you know, I have 35 years to choose from, so I have been a resident of the Twin Cities um, my whole life. That being said, I am very well-traveled. I I have been blessed to have been able to travel and, and spend some duration of time in all 50 states other than Hawaii, but that one's on the bucket list, uh, and <laughs> we're going to knock it off sooner than later. Um, and, and I've done some international travel, too. It's a, it's a passion. I love getting out of town, seeing new things. Married to my husband, Michael, uh, for it'll be one year on New Year's Eve. We've been together for uh, going on five. Um, and we have a, uh, a hybrid dog. She is a, a golden mountain dog, a golden retriever Bernese mountain dog mix. She is a 98-pound lap dog. So right. she, she thinks she's a lap dog anyhow. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we live in the Twin Cities. I, I've been in St. Paul in, in some capacity for uh, 15 years, went to college and got uh, two bachelor's and a master's degree here. Um, it's it's great having the four seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like winter, uh, but I, I put up with it because our, our fall and our summer is uh, incredible. I was going to say, if somebody that doesn't like winter living in Minnesota would be a, a bit difficult. <laughs> you know, the novelty wears off around the middle of January when the wind and the ice and, you know, you don't have the holidays really anymore. Um, Michael and I, my husband and I make a point to celebrate everything we can. And that's just who we are and uh, and how we were raised. So every holiday is something, whether it's the Grammys or the Oscars or Mardi Gras, we traditionally have always had house parties for those things. And I think as a Minnesotan, as a Northerner, that's kind of how you, you pull yourself through the winter. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how we survive. This will be a long winter. Yeah. I, oh, that's, 
Yeah, that's saying something for sure. And back to the travel aspect then, since you're not a big winter guy, do you always travel like warm destinations or you guys mix it up there too? It's interesting. So um, my father is a, a national sales director for a company based out of Florida and travels for a living. He's done it for almost 40 years and he's got the schedule down pat. Um, he, he does it by car, believe it or not. He has all 50 states and, and six Canadian provinces in, in a year span. Um, and he's had time to master it. So I, we, we typically follow a version of his itinerary when we're traveling. Um, and we'll do the North in the summer and the South in the winter. Uh, we, in fact, um, despite COVID, we had been home for, for so long. I didn't want to celebrate my birthday. I turned 35 this year. Um, <laughs> I just wasn't feeling the energy. I didn't want to have one of those car parades, uh, and pretend like I was enjoying myself. So we got out of town and originally I had said, let's go to Portland or Seattle um, or something out on the, the West coast. Um, the pricing was out of control. Uh, and then the, the civil unrest at the time, uh, in the cities just, you know, and then the fires. So I said, let's just look at Alaska. And we ended up, I kid you not, Colton, we looked, um, at trips on Monday, we booked on Tuesday, we flew on Thursday. And we spent 10 days up in Alaska. We rented a car, um, booked Airbnbs ahead of time. Uh, it was an incredible experience. And it was in the 70s at the end of August in Alaska. It was absolutely gorgeous. We put on 1,500 miles over 10 days uh, and got to see just about uh, all the things we wanted to. Is there, one, is there one destination outside of Hawaii that's just kind of clawing at you to get there up on the bucket list, the number one overall right now? My favorite city aesthetically, uh, in, in the country is Charleston. Okay. Uh, between being on the water and, and just the, the old town feel, uh, just amazing. But, um, our honeymoon, which we actually delayed because of COVID, uh, everything got delayed because of COVID, <laughs> uh, which we'd like to, as soon as we're welcome back to the, the European union, we're, we're going to book it. Um, but we are going to the Canary islands for, two weeks. And I think that that is my number one bucket yeah. place. And I, I convinced him to, to do it. It didn't take a lot of convincing, obviously, but uh, I think that's New Zealand is a, a very short stop behind that. So that's awesome. Hopefully you can get there sooner rather than later. But yeah, as we were talking about before the callers, there's just no time telling, but uh, yeah, I wish you guys the best in that trip too. That'll be a hell of a, a hell of a vacation. Yeah. A lot of flying, a lot of, and I'm sure there's going to be a boat in there somewhere, but uh, got so excited about it. Yeah, you should be for sure. And and now jumping over kind of to the professional side of things, um, we'll get into your work as the CEO of LGBTQ Real Estate Alliance later on in the conversation. But I was first curious, what are some of the other professional roles that you've taken on thus far in your career? Yeah, I've um, I've had quite, I call it opportunity. I've I have a, a very interesting resume. Uh, I, I went to college for psychology. Actually, I started political science, but I don't think anyone ever graduates with what they declare <laughs> as a freshman. Um, so I have degrees in psychology and business management, uh, and, and I did my master's work in organizational development leadership. Um, I, I don't know that you... I graduated in... in 2003 from high school and 2007 from college. And at that point in time, um, during the wars in the, in the Middle East, you know, the economy was suffering. You were happy to get a job graduating. It was not what we had been promised that you're going to graduate and 
land a $50,000 a year job in the industry of your choice. Um, so there were some, some life lessons learned during that process. And, you know, I, I also at that point in time was struggling with what I wanted to do. Did I, did I want to be a sellout and go work for a major corporation somewhere? Did I want to try and do my own thing? Did I want to find a small business? Long story short, I hopped around small business for about five and a half years. Um, you know, you get in right from college and, and you put your time in, um, I worked up to middle management about three years into my career. And uh, at the end of the five years, I, I spent a, a run as operations manager for an international security consulting company. Uh, it was an absolute riot. I learned a lot of life lessons. Um, the, the guy who owned the, the CEO who owned the company at the time was, uh, at, you know, at the time I thought he was just a maniac. And and now I have a little bit more respect for some of the things that he did. Now I can see the why behind it. Um, hopefully I communicate better with, with my team. But, um, you, you know, that was the, the first chunk of what I consider my professional life. Uh, unfortunately, I got uh, pink slipped from that role. Our largest client ended up uh, coming in and buying out the company. And our largest client was in Copenhagen. And and they replaced the full management team with the, the European management team. So um, didn't get much severance, but was able to take some money, take some time. Um, blew it on a nice vacation in California for too long, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and uh, my dad called me while I was in California. I remember it. And he said, I don't know how long you think you could stay out there, but you're going to have to get back into the workforce at some point in time. I said, yeah, you're kind of a buzzkill. Uh, so I called some folks. And at that point in time, you use this, your network, right? Rely on your network from college. Uh, and I got in at Wells Fargo and I got in as a loan processor. It was not glamorous. It's a thankless job. And I have nothing but respect for folks who work on, on the operations side of mortgage. Um, and I went through, I went through a, a variation of roles, um, until I landed in sales. So let's see, I was an underwriter. I, I actually trained sales agents for about three years nationally at Wells Fargo. Um, and then I, I landed a job as a private mortgage banker. So um, dealing mortgage, a, a mortgage banker for more of the affluent end of the bank's clients. I uh, loved it. Absolute riot. It was... Um, it was a great job, great clients. Uh, you know, you're an independent uh, producer at that point in time. So you come and go as you please. You just hit your goals and, and you keep producing and your boss stays off your back and, and things are good. Um, unfortunately, timing wasn't good. And, and Wells Fargo had some uh, reputational stuff going on nationally that uh, I'm sure folks remember very well. But it had a serious dramatic impact on consumer confidence at the time. Um, and it impacted my business personally. I took a huge financial hit because uh, my clients were opting to leave the bank. So after fighting that, uh, the inevitability was that I just would have been more financially sound elsewhere. So I took an offer from a U.S. Bank, which is a, a, we call it a super regional uh, based out of the Twin Cities here. They had uh, been recruiting me for a while and I just spent the last three years uh, working as a, a loan officer with U.S. Bank, just retired retired from the industry <laughs> on November thirteenth uh, for mm -hmm. this new endeavor. So, and, that's, and it's pretty fascinating to me that it kind of you it, you 
pivoted into the housing, pivoted into the real estate industry that we'll get into later on, um, kind of just based off of your network, like you put it. But as you progress through education, what was kind of your dream role or what was your envisioned plan? Yeah. And it's, it's funny. You're absolutely right. The irony there had I, if I could write myself a letter, um, had I known then what I know now, I, I would have gone to school for commercial or, or residential real estate. Um, the University of St. Thomas, which is sister school to Notre Dame, actually, is one of the best real estate schools in the nation. And I graduated with a psychology degree and then got into mm-hmm. the industry. Um, you know, dream job. What did I want to do? Um, man, I wanted to work on the Hill. I wanted to go work for a senator uh, and impact change. I wanted to make a difference. Uh, I, I wanted to work policy. I wanted to work advocacy. Um, I always wanted to be involved in some aspect of, uh, of the government and impacting change. Um, and then as you do, you, you get older and you get jaded and um, you start to understand the system a little bit more. And maybe you watch now House of Cards too often and <laughs> uh, maybe disenchanted with the process a little bit to tell you the truth. Um, and like I said, then you graduate and it's uh, it's a free for all and you just take what you can get. You never know where life's going to take you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I think it's, I mean, safe to say now that you're definitely making a change. And as your role as the CEO at the LGBTQ Real Estate Alliance, can you talk to our audience a little bit about how you landed that role and and what ultimately came about that? Yeah. You know, listen, I don't know if there's a, a higher purpose or fate or things just happen by chance, but the flow of events through my life, I honestly feel has kind of all built up to, to what I'm doing right now. And I feel like I'm probably 3% of the population that can say that, that I'm actually in my 30s in the career that I could, I mean, I literally would have written this as a book as to what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I just enjoy every aspect of it and I'm being compensated for it. It's, <laughs> you can't ask That's for awesome. better. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even, and I would say it's better than retirement because what, what the hell are you going to do if you retire? Um so, you know, it, it satisfies purpose as well, which is, is nice. The Alliance, uh, it's fascinating, really. We launched publicly on October 1st. So we're a little over two months into this now. The, uh, the process, I call it, started in May, in fact, of this year. And about 52 of us uh, got together as the result of a mass resignation over fundamental and ethical differences with the former organization. And um, you put that many people together in a Zoom chat and it's like herding cats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had sought some advice from some council at some very reputable organizations around the country. And they said, well, you need to put a steering committee together and you need to decide what the next steps are. What, what does this look like? Take your time, do it right, check the boxes, uh, and, and organize, you know, 2.0. And that's what the alliance is. It's, um, it's an organization that was created by its members, for its members, I think with an elevated purpose and ability to deliver on, uh, on its goals of advocacy, educating, networking. Um, obviously, we're, we're there to... As a 501c6, we're going to get the ability to, to help lobby, um, which is big for us right now. And I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later as far as purpose is concerned. But um, a year ago, I never in, in a million years would have told you that this would have been where I was. 
I wanted to do something comparable. And I had, uh, I was the executive director of a foundation for about 11 months uh, prior to this. I had not left the bank because my confidence was low and uh, in, in the direction of the organization. And, you know, that ends up being a blessing that I retained my, my job with the bank because it uh, it got me through to where I am now. So I had always wanted to get into um, the space from a philanthropic and nonprofit side of the house to work for advocacy, to work for members, uh, to make the people happy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, <laughs> we joke. It, it's kind of like being an ethical politician. Um, you don't have to sell your soul to make it make a difference. Uh, you're still working for people. You know, we have a, a member base. Those are my constituents, effectively. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a, a heck of a ride. We, uh, threw together, I shouldn't say threw together. We comprehensively organized, um, bylaws and, and governing structure and doc documents. And uh, now we have a full fledged organization. It's a Minnesota nonprofit corporation recognized by the federal government as a 501 C six nonprofit organization. We are just shy of 500 members in two months. Uh, and have captured some major sponsorships from some of the industry's largest companies. So extremely flattered and grateful for the support that we've had. That's amazing. And obviously, congratulations to you from the fulfillment side and just feeling like you are kind of in the perfect role. It's like you said, it's something that a lot of not a lot of people get to experience in their lifetime. And for you to be doing so and making a major impact, especially just at kind of the start of it as you guys are peaking is, is really exciting to see. Yeah. I mean, what else can you ask for? Right. Mm -hmm. Especially right now. So we're, you know, nine months into COVID, people are losing their jobs. The economy is not stable. The social climate, the political climate, I mean, you name it. Right. We're going through it to be in a great relationship with someone who loves me, have a great job that I love to have my health. There's really nothing to complain about. (laughs) Which is amazing given the times, like you're saying. So, yeah. And, 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 Going kind of back to the just the the immense growth that you guys have had in these two months, is there anything that you can kind of pinpoint and it derives from to have the 500 members in just that little time span? Absolutely. Yep. Surround yourself with the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can look at our leadership team and I can go down in my head. Uh, I'm not going to do it verbally, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I can go down the list. Everyone from our staff um, to our elected uh Governance officials, um, our volunteers who, you know, we have, uh, gosh, somewhere in the, the 60s, uh, number of, of chapter presidents nationally who are all volunteer. It's it's a part-time job. It really mm-hmm. is to run a, a chapter. Um, and then the members uh, beyond that, every single person uh, contributes. It's, it's incredible. It's overwhelming almost. I think you and I had a conversation uh, a while back about how, you know, my new war is against my inbox, constantly mm-hmm. trying to dig out. And, and that's a <laughs> blessing because members reach out as they join. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives me the ability to interact with everyone, mm-hmm. uh, which otherwise I don't, you know, how do you touch that many people? How do you, how do you, how do you let your members know when you're seen as the one in the ivory tower that you're really not, that you're on the ground level pushing paper too? Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's been it's been a crazy experience, but you know I'll just go back to saying that everyone on the executive team compliments each other, and you couldn't have written a more perfect business review on how to run an organization. 
as the combination of talent that we've put together uh, with this organization. So I am truly blessed and honored to be surrounded by folks who, who compliment my shortcomings um, and, and vice versa too, I think. That's great. And, and, from, and from the member side, for kind of our audience members that might not know exactly how a community like this would work, what are, and you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but what are like the exact benefits? If somebody wanted to become a member of the Alliance, what, what exactly could they look for outside of the networking aspect, so to speak? Yeah, what do we do? Great question. Because it's not <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's not like the Red Cross. We're not just a, okay, we need money, have a drive, write a check, get a mug. That's that's not the, the type of uh, nonprofit that we are. We, we are a membership services nonprofit. So um, think of your chambers of commerce, your professional associations, um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, your National Association of Flight Attendants. It's not a labor union. So uh, it's not like the teachers union. Um, but it is an organized trade association that focuses on a specific... Um, industry or a culmination of related industries um, to try and solve for a larger problem. In our situation, um, there are several problems that we're trying to solve for. First of all, the housing, the home ownership rate um, in the country is at an all-time high, but within the LGBTQ segment of the population is disproportionately low. It's in the 40s. and we're trying to explore why. And certainly there are some factors that go into that. Um, a sustainable lifestyle, which can include a relationship, a secure job for income. Um, those are all things that the LGBTQ community was literally in the last five years just granted uh, civil rights protections on. Before that, there was no guarantee that you weren't going to get fired from your job for having a photo of your same-sex spouse. Um, or that you could get married. Uh, so, you know, combining incomes legally and using that for a loan application, intrinsically, that's going to help rise home ownership rates. And we're seeing that since these things have been um, federally enacted, um, I think all judicially. So, you know, in 27 states, Colton, uh, the LGBTQ community can still be legally discriminated against in the housing space. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And most of those are Southern states. Um but, you know, if, if Jill and John Johnson don't want to sell their house to my husband and I because we're a gay couple, they can shred the purchase agreement right in front of us and not be held contractually obligated, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame because it's the exact same way in the rental space and in the lending space. There are no protections federally um, for, for the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. So that is the need. What is the benefit? Um, it depends what side of the fence you're on. If, if you are a consumer... Uh, whether you don't have to be gay, you don't have to be LGBTQ. Maybe you just want an unbiased, unjudgmental experience. I don't care what kind of lifestyle um, mm-hmm. you're coming from. If, if, if you don't want people to judge you, this is really your group. Um, it provides a safe space for folks to interact with professionals in a multitude of professions and seek service in a judgment-free environment. If you are a customer, if you are a professional, it gives you the ability to, oh, heck, do a lot of things. There are networking abilities all throughout the the world because we are just moving into the international space. Kind of kind of scary, but exciting. <laughs> um, amazing networking, obviously referral and lead generation. If you're client facing, we provide education. We provide advocacy platform and priorities in Washington. Um and it provides a community. It's not just a professional organization. I got to tell you this, it really is a family. 
And do you guys have a kind of a specific mantra or branded message that you firmly believe in as an organization? Uh, well, it depends who you're at. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek, right? Because we are a 501c6, which is interesting because that gives us the ability to take a position on, mm-hmm. on candidates, to actually lobby on uh, issues and lobby legislation, which uh, a charity and nonprofit, a C3 cannot do. So just having been presented with the opportunity to actually have an opinion has been an interesting experience coming from previously having to hold my tongue all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sure. You know, we were built on the foundations of community and collaboration and equality, equity and, and ethics, uh, inclusion and transparency. So mm-hmm. it's, man, I guess the culmination of that just hopefully cultivates a genuine experience and, and shows that it's a genuine organization. Absolutely. Um, our goal is is to create a, a world free of housing discrimination. I mean, it's kind of audacious, but it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And I hope I put myself out of a job. Real honestly, <laughs> I do. It would be the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not that's not the reality of it. After we get housing equality, then the goal shifts to start building wealth within the LGBTQ community, and you do that through home ownership. Mm-hmm. And you guys obviously have a very strong base nationally. You said you're pushing in a little bit into the, the international space as well. But where are some locations across the country that your chapters reside in currently? You know, so <laughs> look at the major sport franchise cities. Um, we probably have a foothold, a, a pretty substantial foothold in those cities. But then we have had an interesting um, couple months here in that we're getting a desire to form a presence in locations we didn't think there was demand. So Boise, Idaho launched a chapter last week. Des Moines, Iowa launched a chapter. Uh, Lafayette is lobbying to, to launch a chapter with us. So there are geographies that, you know, it doesn't surprise me that now society has become a little bit more inclusive and folks are starting to feel comfortable living their authentic lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's demand for it. I, I can't tell you where we're going to be in a year. I wish I could. I, but this is unprecedented what we're seeing as far as a desire to establish a presence. Mm-hmm. And how about on the international side? Is there a, a specific strategy or plan kind of to progress outside of the U.S. border? Yeah. You know, honestly, that was in my five-year plan when I... Um, I wrote our, our, our strategic vision for the board of directors, and uh, I'm having to deal face that, I should say. I, I don't want to look at it as a burden. It's a great opportunity. Um, <laughs> but uh, three months on the job, and, and I'm having to address that already. Mm-hmm. We were very, very fortunate to enter into our first relationship uh, formally, our, our first corporate relationship with Engel and Volkers um, on a sponsor level. And they are a very reputable uh, more on the luxury side, global real estate house. And and they have um, a very, very wide global presence. And through that relationship, because it's a global company, uh, and let me clarify, Engel and Volker's Americas sponsored us. So that's Canada uh, and, and Mexico and the United States, I believe. Um, however, they are all over Europe. They're in Asia. They're in Australia. And we've heard from some of those markets just as a result of the, of the press release and the media that's gone out, um, specifically Europe and, and Canada. And 
Uh, I'm happy to say that we're in the process right now of actually developing the infrastructure to be able to handle membership before we offer it, obviously. But um, hopefully by Q2 of, of 2021, uh, we will be in a position to start onboarding folks from Europe. That's fantastic. And and kind of staying on that same kind of future plans, obviously, like we were talking about before, so much can change given the times and given the pandemic. But are there any kind of events that you guys currently have planned for 2021 or major things that um, our audience should look out for from the Alliance? Yeah. So, you know, it, it this isn't your your dad's organization, right? It's mm-hmm. it's um, there are some real forward thinking folks that are at the helm uh, steering this. And, and we've had some incredible idea generation. Um, LGBTQ Pride Month is a huge thing in the community. And, you know, in the housing space, it was never really observed. Well, we're going to change that. We we are going to do formal uh, recognition throughout the country. Some of it's going to be virtual. It is going to turn into one of our destination events annually where we pick a city um, and hold a Pride event during Pride Month, which happens to also be National Housing Month, uh, month of June, that is. Um, so we're going to do a big pride, and uh, I don't know that it's been announced yet, but we've already secured a title sponsor on that, uh, so we're wow. very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big thing that that uh, we announced a couple weeks ago um, is our national conference. That's going to be in the fall of the year. Um, save the date, if you will. It's going to be <laughs> the week of September 20th in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. So looking forward to that, especially now that um, these vaccines seem promising and it it is realistic, I believe now, to hope that we're going to be in person around a pool um, having some great dialogue in in September. Mm -hmm. So those are the the two big ones. We have a policy and advocacy summit in D.C., uh, which is heavily predicated around the ability to actually meet in person with your legislators. However, we just don't know yet. The congressional calendar hasn't been released yet, and we don't know what that's going to look like. And mm-hmm. if those folks aren't in D.C., it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring everyone out there or attempt to bring everyone out there um, to, to try and meet with them. So mm-hmm. I think at that point, that event will probably be virtual as opposed to in person. Um, still waiting out to, to get the legislative or I beg your pardon, the congressional schedule. And where can our audience go to learn more about the LGBTQ Real Estate Alliance? Yeah, so it's um, realestatealliance.org. Okay. And it's, uh, we tried to make it, you know, as easy as possible. <laughs> I, I think you accomplished that. So, yeah, I, I would highly encourage everybody to go check that out, especially uh, based off of kind of all the attributes that Ryan's described here. It's an awesome community. It's taking off um, and taking off in a very fast manner, as Ryan described. So major things to come in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is nothing but opportunity. We've got some huge initiatives that we honestly and, I, you know, I think every CEO is their own biggest company <laughs> cheerleader. But um they're going to change the way that, that fair housing is done in this country. And I, I firmly believe that. That's amazing. And, and yeah, power to you. Congratulations again, Ryan. And and now I have to put you on the spot because to close every one of our shows, uh, we do a rapid fire round of personal questions. Okay. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to fire off five questions. Just first thing that comes to mind. You, you oh, give me one sec. I got to let, right. let me get ready for this. <laughs> Prepare properly. Hydrate. Prep here. Uh, okay. At All leisure. Right. So question number one, we start... Same, the same process for everybody. What's the first car that you ever owned? Uh, it was a 1992 blue Dodge Shadow. My mother drove it for 10 years. It had <laughs> 235,000 miles on it. 
So you take it back in a heartbeat if you could? Not for a second. (laughs) (laughs) So question number two, do you have an all-time favorite quote? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, Let me show it to you. It's right there. Wow. You probably can't see it or you probably can't read it. We can't, yeah. It's a, a shamrock and uh, and the words be good. And uh, they were lifted off of the last card that my grandmother wrote before she passed to me. That's awesome. um, yeah, so it's on my wrist there. It's kind of a guiding principle. Be good. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, what is the most or what's the most recent book that you've recently read? Uh, I can show you. <laughs> we're just doing a show in and fact, tell now on the podcast. If we're not so. going scripted, there it is, right there. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I actually, I have a whole wall of books and a lot of them are memoirs, a lot of them are biographies, but I, I don't do well reading fiction. I just, I don't have the attention span for it. And I, I, um, I don't do well reading nonfiction to tell you the truth. A lot of what I do is audio, um, but I have a thing for reading the thoughts and, and, uh, ongoings of, of folks who, for some reason or another, have published books historically. Whether they've been massive failures or massive successes, I think every one of them is a lesson. Hey, I'm in the same boat as with, with you too. Yeah, I can't get into the fiction um, aspect particularly. Is there an all-time favorite book that you have? Uh, yeah, actually. Something so I was, looking at, like, I, I was looking down the line here, and like, honest to God, this is how it goes. I've got... Um, Pope John Paul II, I've got Gandhi up here, I've got Rudy Giuliani, two of Donald Trump's business books, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, Cynthia <laughs> Lennon. The one that my, my favorite read up here was Keith Richards' book, Life. Okay. Absolutely amazing. Stunning read. Mm-hmm. It's that thick, but you don't know how this guy's still alive by the time you get to the end of it. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one before. He's amazing. And I love the Stones. Yeah. <laughs> Question number four, then, and I don't think you can show me this one. What is the most recent TV show or movie you've watched? Oh gosh! <laughs> with co- well, with COVID, we've been asking everybody to, what to they've when been did binging. I watch it or recent that's come out. Uh, I'd say that you've watched it with COVID and, and everybody binge watching shows and movies right now. Uh, so we're watching The, the Crown time. right now okay. on Netflix, and I think we've got three more episodes. Otherwise, Mandalorian we watch habitually okay. every Friday when it comes out. <laughs> And then I have annual traditions. Every year I watch The West Wing, which my husband is sick of after five <laughs> five years of watching this, the, the mm-hmm. entire show, all 11 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the final question to get in the holiday spirit a little bit, what is the number one thing on your Christmas list? I can't tell you because it's the number one thing on my husband's Christmas list. <laughs> and he'd hear me if I told you because I already bought it. Okay. Um, all right. And it's gonna, it sounds really pompous, but it's, I promise it's not. It was very affordable and we spoiled ourselves this year. Right. We're, we bought a home with an outdoor pool, which in Minnesota you can only use for four months. So you make the most out of it. Um, <laughs> we can foreshadow it in the next episode. <laughs> I got a, uh, yeah, when does is, when is this air? Just, just don't make sure he sees it. Um, I bought a, an outdoor home theater system. Awesome. Wow. That'll be sweet. Wow. For those four months, yeah, you got to suck You got to, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, I thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time. Is there any kind of final words you'd like to add for our audience here? Uh, You know, Colton, you folks have been amazing to us, and it's been a pleasure. The the work relationship and the personal side of things has been enjoyable. I appreciate the time today and and being here with you and and obviously uh, 
the subscribers and folks that, that tune in. Uh, more than happy to talk to anyone. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me through the website. My contact information's on there. Um, yeah, and like you said, the best way to learn about it is to, to dive into the, the website, realestatealliance.org. It's got it. It's all right there. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again, Ron. Take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the My BFF Business Leaders podcast with Ryan Wyant. This podcast is designed to give the world a behind the scenes look into the lives of unique business leaders shaping their industry. And Ryan Wyant is doing exactly that. This is your host, Colton Hauer. Keep looking forward.